The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. get up to my level of music appreciation. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, choir. Thank you for our accompanist and all who had anything to do with it. And most of all, thank you to the Lord. Open your Bible with us this morning, if you will, to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And in a moment, we'll look at a passage there before we do. I want to express deep gratitude to every one of you who had anything whatever to do with our gifts to world missions through the Light of Moon Christmas offering. If you were not here Christmas Eve, I announce that already our church has gone way over our goal. But we haven't given all that we want to give because some of you have yet to give. So if you've not given... Please know every dollar we give will go there, but our goal was $52,000, and we gave already through uh, last Monday $55,287, and I know some of you turned it in today, so it'll go higher than that. Sincerely, we want to pray for our missionaries, and we want to thank God for the spirit of togetherness in our church and the generosity you have demonstrated in showing what we can that we can do together what we could not do apart. You're aware of the fact that the Gospel of Luke begins in chapter 2 with the birth of Jesus, which we've been celebrating and we've been talking about now uh, during the month of December. But the chapter ends in a very unusual way. In fact, it ends with an episode that we oftentimes Overlook. The last 12 verses of Luke 2, I want you to look at with me for these closing moments. And I'm reading from the NIV. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he, that is Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, His parents were returning home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they, his mother and dad, were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Verse 46, and after three Days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father, and notice the little elf, And I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. 
Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's, capital F, house, or one of the translations have it, about my father's business. But notice, quietly, gently, respectfully, Jesus shifts the word father from Joseph to his heavenly father. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. There are four unique things in this passage, and I use the word unique advisedly. Unusual, many things can be unusual, only one thing can be unique. The word unique means the only one of its kind. There are four here. First of all, this is only Luke records this event in the life of Jesus. Mark, Matthew, and John do not have it. Only Luke has it here. Luke is the only Gentile, that is, non-Jew, who wrote a book of our Bible. Thirdly, Luke is the only doctor that we know of, a physician, who wrote a book of the Bible. He wrote not only Luke, but he wrote the, gospel, the book of Acts. But he's the only physician we know that wrote a book of the Bible. But the most significant, unique thing about it is that this is absolutely the only thing we know about the life of Jesus from the time he was born, which we've just been celebrating, until he began his public ministry 30 years later. For an entire 30-year period, Bible scholars call that sometime the silent years. The Bible says nothing about it except one little 12-verse episode that we've just looked at. That's the Bible basis for our study this morning. I think you see here in these 12 verses what I would call an acted-out parable on the danger of losing Jesus. Any way you look at it, his own earthly parents lost him. Now, Let's ask some questions as we go through and try to understand this passage. Sometimes that's the best way to understand the Bible. Ask questions. Number one, what was lost? Notice here, they did not lose their relationship to him. He's still their son. Joseph is still his earthly father. Mary is still his mother. He is their, his parents. He's their son. They haven't lost their relationship what they lost was fellowship, nearness, intimacy, closeness. They've lost it. So what was lost? Not relationship. I'm not talking to you this morning about the danger of losing your salvation. I happen to believe, and the reason I believe it is the Bible teaches it, that if you've ever got it, you never can lose it. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. If you receive eternal life, it never can end. Now, if you don't have eternal life, you're in big trouble. But if you have eternal life, it never can end. So I'm not talking about the danger of losing your salvation. I happen to believe that never can happen if you've ever got it. But you can lose fellowship. They say, well, Charles, how do I know? 
I'm not here to judge you, and nobody else can judge you. But I can help you by asking a question. Are you in danger of losing Jesus this morning? Here's the question. Only you can answer it. Has there ever been a period in your life when you were consistently closer to God than you are right now? I'm not talking about a day or an hour, but a period of time when you were consistently closer to God in your prayer life, your Bible study, your living, any time in your past that you were closer to God than you are on December the 28th, 2014. If your answer is remotely yes, you're in danger of losing Jesus. If you've ever been closer to him than you are right now, you're in danger of losing Jesus. So what did they lose? Not relationship, but fellowship, intimacy. Maybe you just began your decline with uh, ignoring your prayer life. And you used to pray every day, and now you've gotten where you pray every week. Or maybe it's your Bible study. You used to read the Bible every day. Morning or night, there was a time you read it. And then you just kind of drifted off into Netherland and you ceased to do, to feast on the Word of God. And all these are just symptoms of things along the way that are indicative of our gradually drifting away from God, what I call sometimes spiritual erosion. You hardly know it's happening and you just gradually, slowly drift away. What did they lose? Not relationship. They're still related to him as parents and son. They lost fellowship, closeness, intimacy. But secondly, another question. Who lost Jesus? Now this is amazing. If it wasn't in the Bible, you'd hardly believe it. The very persons you would think never would have lost him, lost him, his own mother and daddy. Now, don't laugh at that. Some of us have lost our children. You know what I'm talking about? I remember, you know, when Janice and I have got two girls, adults now, and when the first one came along, you know, we had everything right. She had the nursery all done, and I'd even get up in the middle of the night to go in there and be sure Joy was breathing. You know, you never had one of those things. And you're so careful and so cautious. But then after, you know, they live and they survive and you find out they can sleep all night long and all this kind of stuff, you're not nearly as careful on the second one. And so when Carol came along, we were glad she was there. I remember the first time we ever went out to eat as a family at a restaurant. We were up in Huntsville. We went into the Sands Hotel restaurant there. We had our meal, and we went up, and I paid the check, and we got in the car, and I started to crank the car. Janice is in her seat. Joy is in her seat. Boom! It hit us. We'd left the baby inside. We left the baby inside. I walked out of church one Sunday night several years ago, and a little girl was sitting out on the curb right there where I parked. Milton and Ann Chamberlain's daughter, Leanne, she's married to a doctor now. She was sitting there, and I said, well, she's about eight years old. I said, sweetheart. Uh, are you waiting for somebody to pick you up? She said, no, my mom and daddy forgot me. (laughs) 
I picked up the phone and called and asked for her. I said, Milton, is Leanne there? No. He said, Ann, have you got Leanne? No, I thought you had her. Now, joking you, those are true stories. Now, they found their little girl. We found our little girl. I went inside. Little waitress was holding the infant seat up. And I said, that's mine. And so <laughs> I retrieved our daughter. And all that jokingly, seriously, the ones you would least expect to lose, Jesus lost him. You say, Charles, what are you saying? Listen, when you see someone lose Jesus, don't you ever say, well, I'll tell you one thing, that never happened to me because you're one step closer to it happening. The Bible says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. There's hardly a person in this room that could not name more than one person who at one time were active for God in this church. Maybe leaders, people who were here every Sunday. Today, they're nowhere to be found. And back then, no one would have ever thought that would have ever happened to them. Who lost Jesus? The ones you would least expect it. Listen, dear friend. You may be a deacon, you may be a choir member, you may be a staff member, you may be in church every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night and never tell the time and still lose Jesus. The ones you'd least expect to lose him have lost him. Missionaries have lost him. Ministers have lost him. Evangelists have lost him. Dedicated Christians, church leaders have lost him. Jesus. So follow the logic. What did they lose? Not relationship, fellowship. Who lost him? The one you least ever expect to lose him, his own parents. But now look at it in a more astounding thing. Thirdly, where did they lose Jesus? This is one of the most astounding things in this story. Where did they lose him? They were in Jerusalem, the holiest city in all the world. Muslims as well as Jews and Protestants all revere Jerusalem. They were in a holy city, and they were there for the holiest event of the year, the Feast of the Passover, when they celebrated the emancipation out of Egypt by God. And, and this was the time of the year they, every Jew, 20 year, every adult male, 20 years of age and older, was compelled to be there for this feast. Every Jew till this day, if you have any Jewish friends, they all would like to celebrate at least one Passover in Jerusalem. So here they are in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Passover. You said, now Charles, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Let me tell you in language you can understand. They were at church, pure, plain, and simple. They had gone there to worship in the temple at the Feast of the Passover, remembering what God had done for them, and they lost Jesus. Where? At church. Now hear me carefully that you don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I love the church. I go to church almost every day of my life. I love church people. I've spent the bulk of my life living with church people, loving church people. And some of the finest, most dedicated people in the world that I know are church people. However, to be intellectually honest, you and I both well know 
some of the sorriest, meanest, vilest, cruelest people in all the world are church people. Don't sit there like you don't know what I'm talking about. We get angry. Sometimes we... Ask the church secretaries here. I've not talked to them. But they answer the phone and somebody over there there. Choose them out over something and all they did was say hello. Church people. People that come to church every Sunday. You know what I'm talking about. Dear friend, hear me. I'm grateful you're here. Thank God for a wonderful place of worship and for your church. And I thank you for how you love the Lord and love each other. But... Don't ever get the idiotic idea that merely being in church makes you holy. It does not. Bodily presence in a building doesn't make me holy. Another way of putting it is activity, which we're all active. You wouldn't be here this morning if you weren't. We're active. Activity is not synonymous with spirituality. The most active chicken in the chicken yard is one whose neck's just been rumped. Your grandparents explain that to the kids when you get home. (laughs) Now listen, all joking aside, activity is not synonymous with spirituality. Bodily presence in a building does not make me holy. If you question that, just look at the Bible. Think about it for a moment. Who gave Jesus more trouble, more heartache, more agony than anybody else in the world. I'm going to spell it for you, and then I want you to say it so you won't forget it. Are you ready? Here we go. P-H-A-R-I-S-W-E-S. Say it. One more time. Once more. Now we got it. Who were they? Never more than 6,000 of them, we're told. They were the people who went to the synagogue, the temple, every single day. They read their Torah regularly. They lived by the law. They gave a tithe of everything they had. And they were as mean as the devil. How do you know, preacher? Jesus said, you bunch of snakes, how are you going to escape the damnation of hell? He never said that to anybody else. Who is he saying it to? Not the riffraff, not the harlots and the prostitutes. He said it to religious people. Now hear me. I'm all for religion providing it's centered in the dynamic person of Jesus Christ and that he makes a transformational difference in my life. But just being in church doesn't make me right with God. I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll be back next Sunday. But don't ever substitute that for the real thing. So come back to the text. Where did they lose Jesus? Of all things, they lost him where we are right now, in church. Now quickly, fourthly, what did they do when they lost him? Or rather, how did they lose him? We'll look at what they did in a minute. How did they lose Jesus? If you look carefully at the text, it says that as they were leaving Jerusalem, they traveled on for a day. How did they lose Jesus? They lost him by going just one day, one day without him. Now we know from what historians have told us that oftentimes at the feast of the Passover, 
thousands of Jews would be converged in Jerusalem, not a very large city. And when the week was over, the people in various areas would travel in caravans back to their villages. Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth, about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. And we know that they traveled back in caravans to Nazareth. And we also know that the men traveled with the men and the women traveled with the women. And the women left earlier. Now, there are two schools of thought. Some was that the women walked more slowly. The other was that the women talked more. Now, I don't know which one it was right. <laughs> Whatever it is, they did travel separately. And the women left. And a little bit later, the men would leave. And they had a previously determined rendezvous point where they would meet and camp for the first night and get their food and rest and get up and do the same thing for another day until they got back maybe five or six days to get all the way to Nazareth. Now that's exactly what happened. If you can use a little bit of imagination here, when they start to leave Jerusalem, Mary thinks Joseph is with Jesus. Joseph thinks he's with Mary. And so the women leave, and later the men leave. And when the women have got to their campsite, and they're getting everything ready for the meal, here come the men. And Mary expected Jesus to run out and greet her, and Joseph expected him to run out and meet him, and suddenly it dawned upon them. We don't have him. What did they do? They traveled one day. Look at that in the Bible. One day. And every step they took toward Nazareth was one step farther away from Jesus. You say, Charles, what are you saying? Look at that passage, dear friend. You don't have to commit every sin in the book to lose Jesus. You don't have to be a sorry, moral, immoral person. You don't have to be a criminal. You don't have to be an adulterer. You don't have to be a thief. You can go to church every Sunday and be respectable and still lose Jesus. They went one day. If you've ever lost a child for just an hour, you can imagine the fear and the consternation that comes up that you've lost them much less a whole day they've lost him. Now, what I'm saying to you is, don't get the idea that if you haven't committed some gross, terrible, immoral sin, that you're not in danger of losing Jesus. They went one day. You remember what Jesus said in John 15, verse 5? He said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. But I'm saying to your heart, and I say it to me, dear friends, we cannot afford the luxury of living one day out of fellowship with God. Preacher, you make it sound like you've got to be perfect. No. But you've got to be perfectly committed. And that makes a world of difference. And so when you're perfectly committed, it doesn't mean you never make a mistake. Ask every husband and every wife here, and they'll tell you that. But the commitment is there. Now here's what I'm saying. How did they lose him? They went one day's journey. 
Yet some of us, if we'd be honest with ourselves, would say, Charles, I've gone a week, a month, six months, a year. I've known I've not been close to God. I, I know that. And we've done absolutely nothing about it. So let's look at the next thing. What did they do when they knew they'd lost him? Look at it in your Bible. What was done when they lost Jesus? Verse 45 and 46 tells you exactly what they did. First of all, notice what they did not do. They did not turn on one another. You don't see anything in the text that says, but Mary said, Joseph, where in the world was your brain, you pea brain idiot? What were you thinking about when you left? Now, Mary, don't you go acting like a woman now. None of that. They didn't. Sometimes we're not careful. We lose Jesus and we begin to get aggravated and short-fused and short-tempered to the very people we love. Don't do that, dear friend. Don't turn on your family if you're not right with God. There's only one thing can come between you and God, your personal sin. Notice they didn't turn on each other. But the first thing you see, they did something immediately. You can imagine this little couple, when they get together there at that rendezvous site, they went on for a day's journey, and they begin to look for them. The Bible says among their friends and their company, their, the group they were traveling with, they didn't find him, and it dawns on them. He really isn't here. Can you imagine them saying, well, you know how little boys are. <laughs> Every once in a while, they get lost. He'll show up one day. We're going to go old home. Or he should have stayed with us. What was he thinking about? You don't hear any of that. You wouldn't have done that. Any devoted parent wouldn't have done that. They did something immediately. You say, Charles, what are you saying? Here on this last Sunday of the year, it may very well be that I'm probing the heart of somebody here. And you'd say, Charles, I've known for some time. I'm not right with God. I've drifted away. And you've done nothing about it. And it's gone on and on and on. That'd be as foolish as that couple letting it go on and on and on and doing nothing about their lost son. All they had lost was their son. You're losing something more valuable. You're losing your own relationship with God, your fellowship with Him. They did something immediately. And I say to you, the sooner those of us who are in danger of losing Jesus, the sooner we come to our senses and say, I'm going to deal with this issue, the better. So they did. You can imagine they may have bedded down for just a little bit. Early the next morning, before anybody else at this little camp got up, this little couple gets up, gathers their belongings, and heads back down the very way they come from, back to Jerusalem to find Jesus. And when they get there, it's amazing. They didn't find him. He's not there. Now, can you imagine Joseph and Mary get back to Jerusalem? They look all day long. No Jesus. Either one of them saying, well, we tried. Let's go on back home. No. Two days. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you can look at almost every place in Jerusalem in two days. No Jesus. What I'm saying, dear friend, 
Some of you may say to me this morning, Preacher, I've heard what you're saying, and I know years ago I lost fellowship with God. I tried. I rededicated my life. I am right back just like I was then. Not any hope for me. Don't you believe it, dear friend? That's a devil's lie. You're swallowing it. You don't want to do that. Who would have ever convinced that couple? Well, you know, you've just lost it. Too bad. Not that at all. They kept on. They did something immediately. And they did something persistently. One day. Two days. Three days. And I'm convinced that it had taken them three weeks. They would have still been in Jerusalem looking for Jesus. After three days. Verse 46 says, they found him. Can you imagine this elation, the celebration? They had found Jesus, but it wasn't an easy trek. It wasn't an easy search. And yours won't be either. Here at the invitation time in just a moment, Satan will say to you, well, you've got all the time in the world to do it. It's, you know, don't worry about it. You, you, you've lived so far, God hadn't struck you dead. No, dear friend, the sooner, if I know I'm not in a right relationship with God, the sooner I do something about it, here at the end of 2014, the better prepared I am to go into a new year. And Satan would say, just let it go. Procrastinate. Put it off. The last thing, and maybe the most important thing, the last question, look at it. Where did they find him? It's astounding when you read this story. Where did they find Jesus? And the answer is in verse 46. When they got back, they found him. Luke says, a doctor for detail now, not just in Jerusalem, not just at the temple, in the temple courts, they found him. Now, the real point that I want you to remember, if you miss everything I say this morning, they found him when they went right back where they were when they lost him. Hear me carefully, dear friend. If you've lost Jesus, you're not going to find him out here on some tangent somewhere. You know, sometimes people get out of fellowship with the Lord, and so they say, well, you know, we just need to move to the country. We've been in the city too long. We're in the city. We need to move back to the country. Or I just need a new job. Or I need a new husband. Preacher, if you knew my husband, you'd understand why it's like. Or if you knew my wife, you'd understand why. I need a new... Dear friend, those are harebrained, idiotic excuses. You know it. God knows it. And most of us who know anything about human nature know that. Or sometimes you get religious and spiritual. You hear somebody on the television say, Now if you'll just send your money to us, we'll send you a prayer handkerchief, and you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hogwash, dear friend. That's Greek for that's foolishness. I'm telling you the truth. Listen. Listen to me carefully. If you have lost Jesus, you're not going to find him in another church, in another denomination, with another husband, another wife, in the city, in the country. You'll find him when you go right back where you were when you lost him. At the foot of the cross, where he was and where he still is. I saw this very vividly several years ago. 
a young student minister at our church asked me to go up to Moulton, Alabama with him to go quail hunting. Oh, I loved it. I had a great time. It was this very week between Christmas and New Year's, and I went up and met them for breakfast, went out to the edge of there between Moulton and Decatur. We went quail hunting. We had a good morning, came back, ate lunch, went back out that afternoon, and we started hunting again. And late in the afternoon, my old bird dog, Sue, excuse me, ladies, if that's your name, that was the dog's name, Sue got lost. Now, you have to understand, she was a $10,000 bird dog. One guy offered me two $5,000 cats for it. I wouldn't take it. <laughs> she was a good bird dog. And it got toward dark. I blew and called. And Sue didn't come. She always had. And she'd never been in that county, Lawrence County. She'd never been there. I'd never been there. I was with guests. We were having a good time. And late in the day. I lost that old dog. And they began to encourage me. Preacher, we're so sure. She'll show up. She'll show up. It got dark. She hadn't showed up. And they said, well, we'll come back out here in the morning. I knew that was just being nice to me. And then I remembered something an old preacher told me one time. He said, Charles, if you ever lose a bird dog, take your hunting coat or your hunting vest off and lay it down right on the ground where you put the dog down. And he said, nine times out of ten, that dog will come back there. I thought, dear God, is that an almanac or some wives' tale? But you know, when you're desperate, you'll do almost anything. I got that hunting vest off. I smeared my sin all over it. I laid it down on the ground. I got in my truck and came back to Birmingham. I told Janice, I said, I think I'll never see that dog again. She was lost. About 4.45, 5 o'clock the next morning, Right before daylight, the phone rang. It was David McKelvey. He's the pastor now of the First Baptist Church of Killen, Alabama. It was him that I was with. He and his daddy, and he called and said, Preacher, Daddy and I went out there. We turned down that lane. As soon as the headlights shined down there, old Sue was laying right there on top of your hunting jacket. I said, Praise God. Hallelujah. I nearly spoke in tongues. <laughs> I'm joking you. I had found... My prize bird dog, they had. I got up. Janice said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get my dog. I got in my old truck and drove up to Decatur and met them. I hugged that old dog. I even kissed her in the mouth. I put her in the back. <laughs> I put her in the back of the truck. And as I was driving home, God burned into my mind a lesson I hope I'll never forget. When he said, preacher, that old dog had sense enough when she got lost to go right back where she was when you all started. If you ever get away from me, you're not going to find me out here in some tangent somewhere. You'll find him right where you were when you left. For I told you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Would you bow together with me for just a moment? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I thank you so much for being here and adjusting your schedules. But now we come to the climax of this service, and it's the last Sunday of 2014. And yet, maybe it's a time that you just need to do business with God. 
I'm going to ask you to answer the question to yourself. Has there ever been a time when you were closer to God than you are right now? Honestly, if there has been, why don't you make up your mind like Joseph and Mary did? Immediately, I'm going to do something about it. Before we give the public invitation for people to come and make professions of faith and join the church, you don't have to commit a gross sin. You just may need to talk to the Lord about things in your life, private things nobody knows about. It's nobody's business but yours. But if you're here this morning, you'd say, Charles, there has been times when I was closer to God than I am right now. I want to renew my love for Him, my devotion to Him, His Lordship in my life. You could do it right there where you're sitting. You just think about it for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I would like to know if God has spoken to your heart and you're willing this morning to say, I want to get back with the Lord like I was at one time. Would you just slip your hand up into the air all over this room? Hands are going up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then the balcony, young people, thank you so much. Now those of you who lifted your hand, would you just take a moment to pray right there for the Lord to give you the courage and the strength to do what you just indicated by the uplifted hand to do. Remember, if you've lost him, he hasn't moved. He's still where he was when you begin to drift away. Others of us may be here this morning. You'd say, Charles, on this last Sunday of the year, I'm not sure that I've lost Jesus because I'm not sure I ever had him to begin with. I'm not sure that I know him as Savior and Lord. And today, I want to repent of my sins and receive Christ into my heart. In a moment, we begin to sing. The staff is going to be here at the front. You simply come and take one of us by the hand. Or if you're already a Christian, you say, we'd like to be a part of this church, First Baptist Church, Pelham. I want to tell you, we would welcome you. I promise you that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this simple story so pregnant with meaning. And help us to take its truths and apply it to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us as we sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. The staff is here. We'll welcome you as we sing the very first stanza. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.